through the scriptures this morning begin in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. And we'll read the whole chapter. Second Chronicles 28. Hear the word of the Lord. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not go do right in the sight of Yahweh as David his father had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made molten images for the Baals. Moreover, he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire, according to the abominations of the nations whom Yahweh had driven out before the sons of Israel. And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Wherefore Yahweh his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram, and they defeated him and carried away from him a great number of captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who inflicted him with heavy casualties. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken Yahweh, the God of their fathers. And Zichri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew Maasiah, the king's son, and Azrikam, the ruler of the house, and Elkanah, the second to the king. And the sons of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons, and daughters, and took also a great deal of spoil from them, and they brought the spoil to Samaria. But a prophet of Yahweh was there, whose name was Obed, and he went out to meet the army which came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because Yahweh, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he has delivered them into your hand and have slain them in a rage which has even reached heaven. And now you are proposing to subjugate for yourselves the people of Judah and Jerusalem for male and female slaves. Surely do you not have transgressions of your own against Yahweh your God? Now therefore listen to me and return the captives whom you captured from your brothers, for the burning anger of Yahweh is against you. Then some of the heads of the sons of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Johanan, Berechiah, the son of Meshelemoth, Jehezekiah, the son of Shalem, and Amasa, the son of Hadlai, arose from battle, arose against those who were coming from the battle, and said to them, You must not bring the captives in here, for you are proposing to bring upon us guilt against Yahweh, adding to our sins and our guilt, for our guilt is great, so that his burning anger is against Israel." So the armed men left the captives and the spoil before the officers and all the assembly. Then the men who were designated by name arose, took the captives, and they clothed all their naked ones from the spoil, and they gave them clothes and sandals, fed them and gave them drink, anointed them with oil, led all their feeble ones on donkeys, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brothers. Then they returned to Samaria. At that time, King Ahaz sent to the kings of Assyria for help. And again, the Edomites had come and attacked Judah and carried away captives. The Philistines also had invaded the cities of the lowland and of the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Ahijalon, Gedaroth, and Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gizmo with its villages, and they settled there. For Yahweh humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to Yahweh. So Tilgath-Pilneser, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Although Ahaz took a portion out of the house of Yahweh and out of the palace of the king and of the princes and gave it to the king of Assyria, it did not help him. Now in the time of his distress, this same king Ahaz became yet more unfaithful to Yahweh, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, which had defeated him, and said, Because the gods of the kings of Aaron help them, I will sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, when Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God, he cut the utensils of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of Yahweh and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. And in every city of Judah he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked Yahweh, the God of his fathers, to anger. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways from first to last, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city, 
in Jerusalem, for they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his place. We'll turn now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Reading verses 25 through 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied and said, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him and beat him and went off, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a certain priest was going down on that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by unto the other side. But a certain Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him, and when he saw him, he felt compassion. And came to him and bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, The one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do the same. If you would, please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation, Psalm 32. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. Selah. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We believe try that again. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. 
The third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and from the Son, and with the Father and the Son is glorified, excuse me, is, yeah, is worshipped and glorified. He spoke through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. Catholic means universal. We affirm one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look forward to the resurrection of the dead and to life in the world to come. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. Father, now we come into your presence that you might sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Speak to us from your word. Convict where conviction is needed. Comfort where comfort is needed. Cut us up and reshape us and put us back together. We know that we're completely exposed to you. Nothing is hidden in your sight. And we must give an account to you one day. And so in preparation for that account now, speak to us. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Two preliminaries. I just pointed out to Caleb this morning that with three weeks of preaching up here, cobwebs came to be in the pulpit. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's representative of us as a congregation who have cobwebs in our head, or it's just because I wasn't here with all my books under there to scrape them out. <laughs> I, uh, as some of you know, have a home office and I have an office here, and so depending on the situation, I meet with people at home in the office, and I meet here in the office. Well, my office at home now has in it the essence of skunk. <laughs> Our neighbor built an eight-foot tall fence all along the garage, which my office is behind, and so there's an alleyway that's maybe four feet wide, and my air conditioner sticks out of the wall, and I think during the high wind, the skunks took shelter under my air conditioner. And they left something behind that's not very nice. And all that's today is today we're going to talk about Ahaz. And Guillermo asked me, what is the message? And I said the message is, Ahaz is a skunk. You can sum it up by Ahaz's name. It's not Ahaziah. That's the full name. Ahaz means to take hold of, to grasp. Ahaziah means either someone takes hold of Yahweh, Ayah, or Yahweh takes hold of someone else. In the case of Ahaz, well, it's clear we read it, he never took hold of Yahweh. He is the first king in 2 Chronicles of whom it is said he did not do right in the sight of Yahweh as did his father David. The ones who've come before, they did what was right albeit maybe not with a whole heart. Or they did right, and then they messed up at the end of their life. Or they did right, and they did something terrible in the middle of their life, just like David did. But not Ahaz. Ahaz 
is at the bottom of the king's pile. And when you come to the end, as Hyde read to us, just remember, I've been telling you this, your burial says something about your life. It's repeated over and over in these kings, how they were buried, what the people did with them. As with Ahaz, they would not bury him with the kings. Why? Because he was a skunk. And some people get burned up after they die because burning is in the Old Testament and in the New Testament the fire of God, which is a curse. He who has ears, let him hear. The, uh, the section on Ahaz is, really comes in two parts. It's really quite simple. Well, at least when you read it, it's just a record, two parts, 1 through 15, and then 16 to the end of the chapter. Uh, so I, I can't offer you a whole lot there, except you can't really understand it unless you have a couple of founding principles, ideas. And as I'm about to express these, not everyone agrees with me. So take that into consideration and then listen to me. In the parable of the soils, in the synoptic gospels, there are four soils. The first soil is the pathway, and the seed doesn't take root, lest they believe, I, I should say, and Satan comes and snatches the seed, lest they believe and be saved. The second soil is rocky, and the seed is thrown out, scattered, and it takes root, but it's shallow root. And when testing comes, trouble, trial, these fall away, the plant dies. But what it says is, what it says is this, they believe for a while. I've called that temporary faith. Now, of course, systematic theologies have a heyday with that expression. How do we understand that? And there are different understandings. And uh, we believe so much in the doctrine of eternal security that sometimes we don't know how to deal with these passages. And so we just take this word temporary faith and we say, oh, well, that's false faith. Well, of course, that's what it turns out to be. But that's not the way it was written. We're supposed to learn something from it. And we believe so deeply in the doctrine of eternal security, so should we, that some of us can never listen to a warning passage and be warned because we say, ah, that can't happen to me. That's principle number one. Principle number two. In our chapter, you, who, you heard Hyde read it, that Yahweh was Ahaz's God. Now, how can that be? It's clear. He worshipped everything but God. How could it be said Ahaz had a God who was Yahweh? In the end, he worships the gods of Damascus because the Syrians had prayed to those gods and they defeated him. So he said, well, now I'll pray to them so that I can gain victory. Does he look to God? Does he have any faith in God, any trust? You, we don't get any in this chapter, none whatsoever. How can that be said? Well, of course, Israel, which is now split into two nations, Judah and Israel, is chosen by God.
And every son that was born in Judah or in Israel was circumcised. In Genesis chapter 17, it says, I will be his God and he will be mine. Now, that means, doubtless, doubtless, I mean, I can't prove this, Ahaz was circumcised. Can I? And so he can be called, Yahweh can be called his God. And he grows up in this culture. His father was Jotham. And he did what was right in the sight of Yahweh. And so I'm assuming that, uh, that Ahaz grew up in a family of faith. And he has a God who's Yahweh. Now, we have our Bible in two parts. Here we have the Old Testament. And uh, let's see. Maybe Janet knows by now there are 39 books in the Old Testament. And then we have the New Testament. And I think she's learned there are 27 in the New Testament. And I, I, I guess it was, uh, it was Arvind who taught her that. And somehow we got this big centerpiece that's, okay, we got this, and we got this. And lo and behold, the Bible doesn't come that way. It's just God's holy word. And we say, our God, Yahweh God, is immutable. He doesn't change. Yet, our systematic theologies would like to change him. So over here, we can all admit, oh yeah, yeah, Ahaz, this unbelieving fellow, has Yahweh as his God. But when we pass to what we call the new covenant, that can't happen. But my friends, that is just flat wrong. Just flat wrong. We've already seen in Corinthians, and we can't be the kind of people who play around with biblical words to make them fit what we want them to fit. We cannot do that. And so when we look at the word holy and we bring it from the old to the new, we cannot change its meaning to minimize what it's saying. No, holy means brought to God. God is your God. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, a child who's in a believing house, God is that child's God. Otherwise, he would be unclean, but now he is holy. Now, does it mean the child will necessarily believe? And the answer is no. But the child is counted, hear me, as God's child. The child is counted, hear me, as part of the church. And so when you read books like uh, Hebrews, and you come to chapter 3, and it says, holy brethren, and it's used uh, several times in the epistle, it's talking about this <laughs> It's talking about people that have been separated unto God. They get to come to church. Or, in Old Testament saying, they get to go to the temple, or they get to go, but if they're unclean, you can't do that. So, this is how Ahaz could have God as his God and be an unbeliever and be warned and he falls into that category that you find. Well, we better read it. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, it says, For in the case of those who have once, listen closely, 
once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partaker of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it's impossible to renew them again unto repentance. And so we have these kind of passages that are warning, but we don't take them serious. Why? Because it can't happen to me because I walked the aisle, I trusted in Christ, and I'm secure forever. Well, of course, I don't want to take that away. But I want to change the way we think about it. Because we've seen over the years, there are so many people who've grown up in McKinney Bible Church, and we're not the exception, we're the norm. And then when they leave home, they change the way they are. And all of a sudden, they don't go to church. And some of them just flat out say, I don't believe that. Some of them engage in acts which in the book of Leviticus are called abominations. Yeah, they didn't listen to Hebrews. Well, this is the kind of person Ahaz is. So, Jotham did what was right in the sight of Yahweh, his God. He wasn't perfect. I'm assuming he taught his son. His son knew the Abrahamic covenant. His son knew the Mosaic covenant. He knew all the rules and regulations. And his son knew the Davidic covenant. And here is this awful, wicked man. And do you know what he is called? He's called the Son of God. Today I have begotten thee. Thou art my son. Ask of me, and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance and the end of the earth for your possession. And Solomon was the first son of God. And uh, what's his name was the second son of God? Starts with an R. <laughs> Getting old. Real bomb. There you go. All the way down to this particularly terrible person. And he's the son of God. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilement of the world, by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ... Uh, they are, and then they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment delivered to them. Okay, so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to fit the Bible together from Genesis to Revelation. I'm trying to maintain that our God is an immutable God. I'm trying to maintain that he deals with us just like he dealt with Abraham. He believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. That's what I'm trying to maintain. And so we can all admit something in the Old Testament and then toss it away in the New Testament because of misunderstanding of certain verses and what we've been taught and particularly, oh, well, maybe you don't know this, but systematic theology. So, in 2 Chronicles chapter 28, he didn't do right in the sight of the Lord as David did, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made 
molten images for the Baals, the Baals. It's really pronounced Baal. Moreover, he, <clears throat> he burned incense in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in the fire according to the abominations, first time used in 2 Corinthians, of the nations whom Yahweh had driven out uh, for the sons of Israel. You see this guy? He sacrifices his children to gods. Now, if I don't misunderstand this, that means that's what we've been doing since 1973 in this country. And, you know, I just did a rough calculation. John and I were talking about this. Just in terms of abortion, which is a sacrifice for all kinds of reasons. It's a sacrifice, maybe, because I wasn't married to the man and I don't want the baby. It's a, it's, a, it's a murder, maybe because, you know, I'm too old and I don't think I can handle another child. All, all these kinds of things. It's to pleasure, so I can have the good life. If I have another child, I might not have enough money. We would have 75 million more people in this country if we had not been sacrificing to the God of pleasure. Well, that's what Ahaz did. Of course, God was angry at him. Thou art my son. Today I've begotten you. You know? Most dads want their sons to become like them somewhat. Ahaz didn't become like God the Father whatsoever. And so it can just so be. And, and again, I want to be careful here. I'm, I want to say it this way. Quite liberal in accepting people as Christians. Some people aren't liberal at all about that. But, on the other hand, I want to realize that when you accept somebody as a Christian, they can fall away. Now notice, I'm using the word Christian. If you believe, and we like to add the word truly, then you won't fall away. But you cannot hold your security so tightly that you just look at a passage and say, whoa, 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 that couldn't happen to me. It happens to people. We've seen it happen in this congregation. And just uh, getting, you know, your kid taught in the ways of the Lord and they profess faith and they get baptized doesn't mean that your kid won't fall away. We don't have that kind of knowledge. And so what we've done in systematic theology, and it's, you know, it's, a, it's a way for us to try to grapple with it. I'm not, I'm not particularly complaining about it, just a little bit. We've stuck the church into two different categories. Over here is the church invisible. And in the church invisible is invisible people. Because we don't know who they are. And over here is the church visible. And in the church visible are visible people. All of us in this room. Some of us may fall away. And that's what we're trying to protect. Over here, these are the people that will never fall away. But the problem is we can't look at each other and say, ah, he's invisible, he'll never fall away. On the other hand, I don't want you to doubt Christ. If Christ has paid for your sins, you won't fall away. 
he will preserve you. 1 Peter chapter 1. Based on your faith, he will preserve you. But we can't, we can't handle reading Scripture in this hypothetical fashion. And then we look behind us, and then all that wreckage. Okay, so theologically, you see, I've, uh, I used to be way over here on, I don't know, I guess you'd call it the, the left. This is my right, but anyway, it's your, it's your left, you're looking at me, over here on the left. You know, one time, when I first started preaching, you know, I just stood like this. It didn't move or anything. And, and a guy down at Dallas Seminary came up, and I, I moved just a little, and he said, Craig, I just want to tell you something. When people are looking at you this way, stage left is where the sun rises. It doesn't matter where the sun really rises, it's just stage left. Okay, so over here is the left, and over here is the right. And so over here, I was what I'd call one of those, uh, uh, I can't even remember the word of what I was. That's a good thing, you know? It, that's really beautiful. Free grace. And in free grace, you could believe, and you could die, and be, ah, whatever, and you're going to heaven. And then you move to this side, you know, and you, you get a little too strong, a little tougher. Well, I, I, I'm over here, but in one sense, no, I take people at their word, because after all, I can't see the invisible. My problem is I can't even see the visible, you know? <laughs> So God was upset with Ahaz. And he brought the Syrians against him. And the Syrians took lots of captives and took them back to Damascus. And he brought Israel against him. Now, Judah over here, these are Yahweh's people. Syria back here, they're not Yahweh's people. Over here, Israel, they're Yahweh's people. These two groups are brother and sister as all, even though this one is mostly apostate. And Israel just clobbered them. Now, 120,000 were killed in one day. That seems, you know, almost impossible. And so you reckon with the problem of numbering in the Bible. And for everybody here who wants to be literal, 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 you just take it at face value. But we who like a little symbolism, we get along a lot better with the numbers so that we can say of the thousand-year millennium, oh, that's not a thousand years, that's a symbol for a long time, because God says, I own the cattle on what? All the hills? Many hills? No, a thousand hills. Well, what about the other hills? Does he own those cattle too? Of course he does. And so with big numbers... It, it, it just, just taking the time and so forth, it, it, it looks like they don't fit. But what it means is it is a massive slaughter. So much so that their rage reached to the God of heaven. He didn't like it. He gave them into the hands of the Israelites because they were disobedient. But he expected a little more mercy. And then these Israelites, their own kinfolk, not only because Yahweh is their God, but because, hey, this uh, group of people have been around and there's been intermarriage. They're, they're own and what do they do? They take 200,000, you know, and maybe it really is 200,000. I don't know, but it's, it's massive, whatever it is. 
and they uh, are going to take them back to Samaria, the capital of Israel, and make them bond slaves. Women, sons, and daughters. Now, I read, uh, I read a couple of weeks ago uh, a suggestion from one of my daughters. It was, uh, it was what I would call historic fiction. And it was, it was about... Uh, it was about the Nazis' invasion of Russia, and it was, it was, uh, it, it just was an eye-opener of how awful the conditions got there. That's what war is like. And then, having read that, then I read another one by the same author, which was a, 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 a historical fiction about, um, well, it must be fiction, because I can't remember it. Uh, PSD. So in World War I, when people came back with a brain all messed up, they called it... There you go. At least I didn't say PMS. <laughs> that would have been bad. <laughs> So in the First World War, people came home messed up and they called it the soldier's heart. In the Second World, they came home messed up, they called it battle fatigue. And now we have a new fancy name for it, but it's really true. War is awful. Could you imagine walking around Iraq, picking up your fellow soldiers' body parts after they've been blown into pieces. You think that wouldn't wake you up in the middle of the night? Well, here's Israel just enraged against their fellow countrymen, their brothers, and they slaughter, just slaughter them. And then they take massive numbers of women and daughters and sons, and they're going to go enslave them along with a bunch of spoil, and out comes Odid. And Odid's name means restorer. And he takes them to task. Don't you have the same kind of transgressions? Here's what I'm telling you. You return them. And the message was heard. It's amazing. It's quite something. It is a huge, huge, huge act of mercy and compassion to say, yeah, we'll give these 200,000 people back with all the goods that came from them. And a group of men took those ladies and those young ladies and those young sons many of them who were naked, because that's just what you did in war. You didn't fight fair. You shamed everybody. And they took that spoil, and they clothed them, and they gave them sandals, and they fed them, and they gave them something to drink, and they took them back down to Jericho, to the city of palm trees, and Jericho is representative of the door into Israel. They're coming back. Now they're coming home. Well, you know what? I'm not going to get done. When you start making people laugh, you start having too much fun. That's the problem. <laughs> So, uh, there are two expressions. One is found in verse 19, one is found in verse 20. The one in verse 19 is, Ahaz was very unfaithful. So, what that is, is ma'al, ma'al, just like at the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil where God said to Adam, in the day you eat, dying, 
dying. It's just as certain as that's going to happen. And so, men, if you want to impress your wife with your knowledge of Hebrew, you come up to her and you say, you know, you're pretty, pretty. Double it up. Well, he was very unfaithful. And so God brought the Philistines, excuse me, the Edomites against them and captives were taken. They were no friends. Brought the Philistines against them and down in the Negev in the south, they took all these cities and the villages surrounded the cities and they came in and settled in them because God wasn't happy with them. And then he added to his unfaithfulness. Now, there's a little pond there because the word add is the word Joseph. You know, Joseph excelled in everything he did. God was with him and everything he put his hand to was a success. Now we're taking it the other way. Everything that Ahaz puts his hand to, it is a colossal mess. And so he added to unfaithfulness. How did he do that? Because he began to worship the gods of Damascus and because he took uh, money from our, our gold from the temple and the king's house and the prince's house and he gave it to Tiglath-Pileser so Tiglath-Pileser would help him. But Assyria didn't help in the end. They caused more trouble. So he goes to worshiping the Damascus gods and what does he do? Well, he, he's going to make sure, I mean, after all, a, a guy who leads has to have followers, so he's going to make sure that Judah follows him. So he takes all the utensils at the temple and he cuts them in pieces. Now, do you know what those utensils are? Well, they're things like shovels and that kind of stuff for dealing with ashes, that's for sure. But utensils in Chronicles are what? Somebody tell me. Musical instruments. Could you imagine what the Lenners would think if we came and cut up their stringed instruments? They'd switch churches, just like that. So, why? Because he closes the doors, he shuts the way to Yahweh off, and he doesn't want any praise of Yahweh. None. Like I said, what's the message of Ahaz? He's a skunk. He's just flat a skunk. And so God's anger burns against him, and in the end, he dies, and he gets a fitting burial. He is buried, but he's not buried with the faithful kings. He's buried off by himself as a statement. Ahaz is no good. So I'm just trying to say, here's a guy who started out in what we would call a Christian family. Here's a guy who's taught the way of the Lord. Here's a guy who's being groomed to be king, and he's brought to the throne and called, this is my son, the son of God. He knows the Decalogue. He knows Deuteronomy. He knows what a king is supposed to do. And he gets on the throne, and he says, no. How do you figure? He's Yahweh's, he's Yahweh's, and he rejects Yahweh. Now clearly, clearly, Ahaz did not have faith. Well, he was made king when he was 20. But maybe he, you know, this is the way we always hedge it. We hedge it. We hedge. Maybe he exhibited some faith, professed faith, blah, blah, blah. But here's how the Bible sees things. And this is why child training is so, so important. When you birth a kid in your family, and since you are holy, your kid is counted as God's kid. It would have been better not to have known the way of truth than to know it and turn from it. So what happens? 
out there are all these kinds of pagans, you know, and we're all disgusted with them, the way they're living and what they're up to. But, you know, if they're just flat-out pagans, their judgment in the end is a lot easier. But when you grow up in a Christian family, and you're taught, and you know the gospel, and maybe you've professed it, and then you leave home and you turn from it, it would have been better not to know the way of righteousness than to know it and turn from it. Why? Because the one who's given much, of him much is required. And so judgment of kids who grew up in Christian homes and turned away from Christ, their judgment will be harder than your lesbian neighbor. Hear me? Training our children is essential. Absolutely essential. And there's one book that tells you how to do it with uh, clarity. Proverbs. I mean, there are other books too, but there you have it. Well, uh, I had my alarm set so low I don't even know what time it is. So I was going to talk about the Good Samaritan, and, and so we'll just do that next week. It's an extension of Ahaz, and it goes, it's going to take the point a little further. But uh, let's just conclude with this. When you, when you look at Oded, who came with a message, and he is a prophet of God, and he speaks to the northern kingdom, that resides in apostasy. They've stepped back and they listen to him. And they take all these people that they had taken captive for their own welfare and all the spoil that enriches them and they take it back to whom? To their brothers. That's the kind of mercy we're called to. That's what the Good Samaritan is about. But next week we'll see there's a little twist on the Good Samaritan that maybe we haven't thought about. Stand with me. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. God from God, light from light, true God from true God. We thank you that he's our God. And we thank you that he's the God of all the kids in this room. And we pray that we will be faithful to train them in the ways of the Lord. And that as they grow and hear and hear and hear and hear from their parents. And watch and watch and watch their parents. That they will come to faith in Christ. A faith that cannot be turned away from. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen.